You're listening to the Keon Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Vince McKee. Today's guest will be Sean Shirk of the UFC and MMA World. Sit tight, put your feet up, and grab something cold to drink. Up next, Sean Shirk. On the line with us now is Sean Shirk. You remember him from the world of MMA. Uh, also, the biggest stage, without a doubt, was his time with the UFC. We're going to get to all that in a bit, but here he is. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing? Good, how are you? And, uh, you know, how have you been doing here today? Uh, nice day up there in Minnesota, I hope. Yeah, gorgeous weather here. You know, I'm, I'm doing good. I just uh, got done with my morning training session and uh, getting ready to make myself some lunch, chicken and salad. Awesome. So, pretty exciting. Sounds good, man. Low carb, high protein. Um, yep, that's the deal. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you too. So you know, I, I like to do these interviews. I like to go from the beginning to the end of careers and and through the childhood. But uh, before I ask you the first question that I actually have written down, I, I must tell you, uh, you know, me and a close friend of mine, uh, my friend Dave, we always thought that the Muscle Shark was one of the coolest damn nicknames we've ever heard. So before we even start with the regular questions, I have to ask you. How did you come about with Sean the Muscle Shark Shirk? Well, I did not come up with that nickname. So I actually got that nickname while fighting in uh, Pride in Japan. So I I never really had any interest in that nickname. I just nothing really sounded good to me. Nothing really stuck. And obviously, I don't I don't think you can come up with your own nickname and have it be cool. So um, I was fighting over in Japan, fighting in Pride, and. That's where the nickname came about. So I was fighting a guy named Ryuki Uyama. And I kept hearing the announcers talk about the muscle shark, the muscle shark, the muscle shark. And I had no idea who they were referring to. You know, for those of you who are listening who, who don't know, fighting in Japan is much different than fighting in America. In America, it's loud you know people are yelling people are screaming there's a lot of commotion going on so you can't really hear your corner guys clearly unless you're fighting right next to your corner japan's a whole different ball game um it's deadly quiet you could literally hear a pin drop you know in the in the, in the top row that's i mean that's exaggerating a little bit but it's so quiet when you're fighting over there that uh you know the japanese they applaud when something takes place they chew when something big happens but otherwise it's deadly quiet so i could hear my my corner guys playing as day as the fight was taking place i could hear the announcers talking as you know commentating the fight as it was taking place so i kept hearing this muscle shark muscle shark muscle shark and i, I had no idea who was boss rooting who was saying it i had no idea who he was talking to um referring to i'm sorry and i kind of was getting a little bit of during the fight because i'm like you know i'm putting on quite a clinic here and, <laughs> and uh you know the boss root and all he keeps talking about is this muscle shark character and uh lo and behold after the fight was over boss rootin was interviewing me and he says so what do you think about the nickname the japanese fans gave you the muscle shark so that's how the muscle shark came about i thought it was a cool nickname and it's got it's got a cool uh it's got a cool backstory to it yeah i think that's incredible and it's funny you mentioned um <clears throat> you mentioned japan and, you know, I've told people for a long time, you know, who, who watch professional wrestling and, you know, fans of, of wrestling, and I've had a lot of wrestlers on the show as of late, the origins, a lot of it, the best fans you're going to find, shockingly enough, is if you go to Japan, and like you said, it's going to be real quiet until something happens. Yeah. 
Or or down in Mexico, where it's the exact opposite. It's nuts the whole time. They got their masks on. They're drinking. It's a very festive-like atmosphere. But if you want to make it in the world of MMA, you know, those are places you really probably should fight. And if you look at the origins of it all, that's where a lot of it began. So I just, I'm really glad you actually told that story because, to me, that's something I felt passionate about. But I wanted to talk to you about this to, to get the interview really going here. You know, um, I come from a wrestling family. All my uncles wrestled. My dad wrestled. Amateur wrestling has been a part of the McKee family for a very long time. Now it's a part of your family. Can you kind of talk about how amateur wrestling, you, you began with that sport, and now you see it with your children doing it as well and the evolution of it? Yeah, you know, um, wrestling was just kind of a rite of passage as far as my family goes. Everybody wrestled. You know, all my uncles wrestled and all my cousins wrestled. My older brother wrestled. So wrestling was just something that we did. Um, You know, growing up as a kid, there was never a question as far as what sport you were going to play. You just joined wrestling and that's what you did. So I wrestled. uh, I wrestled my whole life. I started when I was seven. And I wrestled competitively until I was about 19 and I ended up having, you know, maybe 400 amateur wrestling matches growing up as a kid. And, you know, we, we had seasons back when we were younger, you could be a multi-sport athlete. I wrestled, I played baseball, I played football, but wrestling was my primary sport. So wrestling took up probably four months of my year maybe 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 five tops but still it wasn't it wasn't uh wasn't um the only sport i played and um you know go ahead and fast forward uh 25 30 years and now my kids wrestle and they've wrestled ever since kindergarten and the sports evolved and it's come so far since i was a kid now the seasons are lasting you know anywhere from six months and even nine months long if you want to be one of those guys who get on the podium consistently and by get on the podium i mean place top six and the nationals and the state tournaments and stuff like that you have to wrestle six to nine months out of the year and um it just it's just incredible as far as how much the sport has evolved and you know these these young kids that are that are in middle school are, are doing techniques that i never even knew as a high school wrestler so um that's kind of what uh what what well, i shouldn't say kind of but that's what my kids do now is you know they both wrestle and we we love it and we we uh i'm glad i have an outlet where i can teach them and and help them grow as athletes and and grow as as young men as well so that's been uh, been a lot of fun for me so one thing you know i've always told people as well it's the 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 most natural transition an amateur wrestler can make when they're done with high school and college, there really is no there is no such thing as pro wrestling. Yes, there's a, the scripted stuff we see on television. But as far as somebody going from amateur into a paid profession to be a, a wrestler out of college, there really is no such thing. The, the Olympics are kind of it. So a lot of fight, excuse me, not fighters, but a lot of amateur wrestlers go into some form of MMA. Can I ask you this? What got you involved into MMA? Was it the nat- the next uh, the next natural progression in in your process? Well, you know, rewind. What are we talking here? Nineteen ninety three is when the very first UFC was televised. Correct. 
And, you know, the sport really didn't get popular until, should we say, early 2000s. So it took probably a decade for this sport to really take off. And when I first started training mixed martial arts, it wasn't because mixed martial arts was cool. It wasn't because it was on TV, because it wasn't. Nobody even knew what it was. You know, it wasn't, uh, you couldn't make any money at it. There was nobody that was doing this for a living. Um, you know, I did it because I liked it and I just thought it was really cool. You know, I mean, I grew up, I grew up as a wrestler and I loved competing. I loved, I used to, I used to get into a lot of recreational, um, scraps i should made i should get into a lot of fights growing up i don't know why i just did but i didn't look for them but they always seemed to find me so i had a knack for that kind of stuff and and uh i started training mixed martial arts because i thought it was cool and, and because i liked it and and you know part of the progression of that was to compete because you know i didn't was never interested in being one of those guys that just showed up at at the gym twice a week and trained and then went home you know there was always something bigger and better that i wanted to do so that led to competing and over the course of i mean i worked a full-time job my first 15 professional fights so i was not making a living doing this stuff i was i was making a living as a machinist and i was fighting as a hobby is basically what happened so you know, fast forward, you know, when the UFC, uh, uh, the Ultimate Fighter 1 was televised and Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner had that amazing fight on, on live television, the sport took off at that point in time and the UFC was no longer, they were only doing three shows a year. Uh, you know, before that, now all of a sudden, you know, they have this amazing fight on TV, the sport takes off and um, all of a sudden, next thing you know, guys are making a living as fighters guys are able to have sponsors endorsement deals guys are able to you know travel and do seminars and you know fight pay started getting a little bit better so that was that was my progression was just a lot of you know a lot of blood sweat and tears and and a lot of time put into into training and competing with with the hopes of one day being a ufc world champion well, let me ask you this then, because my, my next question, you actually kind of segued into that perfectly, and, and thank you for doing that. Um, I was going to say, I worded it exactly like this, too. You started your career winning 16, uh, you know, fights, okay, right off the bat. You're 16-0, and 0, you know, with one draw, so 16-0-1, I should say, regardless. You know, several times you would fight twice a day, or sometimes twice in a week. It's not like it is now where fighters take three fights a year at the most, right? So yeah. you were you were getting those repetitions. You were getting out there, and you you were stockpiling a pretty good record. Why do you feel that you were able to succeed so early on? Because it wasn't until um, you know I think maybe nineteen and 0, 19 0 and one you got your final you know you got your shot at Matt Hughes in the UFC. But really before that, um, just amazing sixteen straight wins uh, before you went to fight for the UFC. Yeah. Um, well, my first UFC was UFC thirty. That's when I fought Tiki, and I think I, I had uh, ten or twelve wins at that point in time. And they right. just signed me. They just signed me to a one fight deal. Uh, they didn't like me. They said we. I fought a lot like Matt Hughes did. They said we already have a Matt Hughes. We don't need you. So they, they did not choose to sign me to a to a longer fight deal. But you know, the UFC was only doing three shows a year right. uh, for for many many years, all the way up until two thousand 
boy, when was it? 2005, I think, is when they started doing more shows. Like I said, after the after they they aired the Bonner and, and Griffin fight, that's when the sport took off. So now instead of doing three shows a year, now they're doing ten shows a year. Now they need more guys under contract. So before that took place, when they were only doing three shows a year, they didn't. They only had like ten or twelve guys under contract. The rest of the guys they were bringing in, they were bringing in on one fight deals. So when I made my UFC debut in UFC 30, I had a one fight deal. They didn't, they, you know, which I won. And, you know, I was a ground and pounder. I was a wrestler. That's not what they wanted because the fans had no idea what they were watching. They wanted to see a street fight, you know. They don't know what a ground and pound wrestler is. They don't know what submissions are. The second the fight hit the ground, they were booing. It's like, I haven't even had a chance to do anything yet. You're already booing, you know, but that's what they did to everybody. It didn't matter. So the fans were very uneducated. And, uh, you know, once they, once the sport really started to take off in 05, they started having more fights a year, which now means they need more fighters on their contract. So that's when I got my big, you know, my big three fight deal was in 2005. Um, and, uh, that's, that's, you know, I guess the rest is history from there. But I had another fight deal before that when I fought Matt Hughes, and I don't remember when that was. I think that might have been 02. But, uh, you know, us Midwest guys and us wrestlers, we always used to have a saying that we have to work hard, uh, twice as hard as everybody else because, uh, you know, we come from the Midwest and we just don't get have the same – um, maybe not the same persona as the guys that were coming out of New York and California and Vegas, you know, those guys seem to always get the breaks where, you know, guys like myself and, and Matt Hughes and Jens Pulver and Jeremy Horn, you know, we got 20, 30, 40 fights before most guys even have five, you know, just because there's a lot more going on here and we have to work twice as hard for someone to, to really get to notice us and for us to get our opportunities at the big stuff. No doubt about it. And I can tell you flat out, Northeast Ohio, Cleveland, where I'm from, Northeast Ohio, very much the same way. Underdog mentality, um, having to work extra hard just to get noticed. That is something, you know, like you said, maybe maybe it is a Midwest thing, um, or more so central, but still, you know, who really knows? But, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. Now, let me ask you this. In your career, okay, you fought three really big names. Well, you fought more than three names, but... You fought a lot of big names, you know, and one of the, the biggest fights you had early on, you know, uh, tracked your record at 19 one You hadn't even lost yet. You get a shot at Matt Hughes for the welterweight championship, and you lost by unanimous decision. Like you said, your guys' styles were very, very similar. What do you feel happened that night against Matt Hughes where you weren't able to, you know, outpoint him? You know, um, well, I mean, he was the number one fighter in the world, pound for pound. He had, he had, you know, defended the UFC title four times already. I mean, he was pretty much considered unbeatable. So, you know, I went out there. I don't want to make any excuses because because I don't have any. You know, he beat me. He, he was better than I was that night, of course, and, and I've got nothing but respect for him. Um, you know, if I could do it differently, I probably would change my game plan and my strategy differently because when I went out there, my, my game plan was to outbox him. 
for who knows what reason, because I was, I was undefeated. I was actually 22 and when I fought him, uh, I had a couple fights that, that never got recorded, but okay. anyway, so I had, I had 22 wins and, and no losses. And all those 22 wins came because of, of my wrestling ability. And now all of a sudden I'm fighting for a world title and I decide, Hey, I'm gonna go out there and box this guy. That doesn't even make sense. You know? So I gave up, I gave up round one. He took me down and, and, and beat me in round two. I went out to try to box. He took me down and he beat me. Round three comes up and my corner guy comes up to me and he says, you're down two rounds to zero. He says, he says, you need to start wrestling now. And I said, okay, well, round three starts. I went out and I took him down and I, and I won round three. You know, I, I took him down in round four, which which uh, I don't know who I, I think maybe he round won round four, but at least I took him down round five. I took him down, and some people say I won round five. So you rewind back to round one and two, and you know if I would have had that game plan from the very beginning, maybe the outcome would have been different. You know, you just you just never know. But it's one of those things you look back in hindsight and you, and you wish you would have done things differently, but you still got to live with the consequences, right? You're listening to Keon Sports. Today's guest, Sean Shirk. You know, Sean, here's an interesting thing, too, that a lot of people, a lot of fans nowadays, casual fans who really don't educate themselves like they should, nowadays a lot of fighters will will uh, stick with the UFC. Once they get aboard, if they can get some wins together, they stick with them. You did something very unique here, okay? After that loss to Matt Hughes, you left, and then you rattled off 12 straight wins you know, before coming back to the UFC, eventually you, you would fight GSP. We'll talk about GSP in a second. But why did you decide to leave the UFC for a little bit and then come back? And while you were gone, you went on an absolute tear. Yeah, well, I didn't leave the UFC. The UFC cut me. <laughs> so, Jeez. you know, back in those days, again, the UFC was only doing three or four shows a year at this time. And if you lost a fight there was a 90% chance you were going to get cut. It's not like now where guys are losing two, three, four, five fights in a row and they're still buddy-buddy with Dana White. You know, if you lost one fight, there was a 90% chance you were no longer going to be with the organization. So I lost to Matt Hughes, the first fight of my career that I lost uh, to the number one ranked fighter in the world. I lost by decision. And, you know, two weeks later, I got a phone call saying, you're gone, you're out. You're no longer with the UFC. So I was forced, I was forced to go back and, and do things the hard way again. Like I said, Midwest mentality, you know, to go back, go back to work, you know, put the, put the work gloves on, put the work belt on and, and go back to work. So I started fighting every single month and I was doing, I was fighting anybody who was willing to fight me. There wasn't a lot of guys who were willing to fight me because I was, you know, legitimately three, two or three in the world, you know, fighting at, at local fight small organizations not a whole lot of guys want to take that fight you know if you're if you're on the verge of of getting into the ufc if you're one of those big guys who are top 10 and you're one win away from getting into the ufc you don't want to fight me because then if you get beat you're not going to get into the ufc so you know i wasn't fighting top 10 opponents uh not because i wasn't trying just because nobody would fight me and i had to stay busy and my my game plan was to fight as many times as i could until eventually the ufc they couldn't look the other way anymore they were going to have to sign me which is which is what happened and 12, fight, 12 fights later <laughs> yeah well no it, it, it you know and so here's the thing too so um i talked with gray maynard last week um i'm good friends with mike goldberg I, I did a little promo work a couple of years ago with an independent MMA company here. And, you know, the, the, the real scoop is this, and I'll put this on the record because I, I know you're going to agree with me. 
a lot of those independent promotions, you don't make much money. You might make $800 if you're lucky a fight, and then if you win, maybe another $800. A lot of people think to themselves, well, why, don't these, why can't these guys retire after 10 or 12 fights? Aren't they millionaires? That's not the case. It's anything but the case. So for the UFC to even offer guaranteed contracts now like they do is light years ahead of when you competed first with them. I mean, it's just the difference and the commercial dollar and everything else involved with it is absolutely insane. And, you know, it, it sounds cold-blooded, but unfortunately that's the way they treated their performers. And, I, you know, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but it is what it is. You know, these guys are putting them, their bodies on the line, and if they get – you know, it, it's not like a job with a pension or a full health care plan afterwards. You have to win to keep moving on in the early days of MMA and the early days of UFC. So, again, that would explain that 12 straight wins, you know? I mean, and would you say that's fair? Yeah, that's very fair. You know, it's a very, very cutthroat industry. It's, uh, you know, one loss. It'll take you five, five, six, seven, eight wins to just to recover from, from one loss. You know, it's like it's a very, very cutthroat industry, and and uh, you know you can't make a. It's a, maybe I'm not going to say you can't, but well, okay. In my in my day, you could not make a living outside the UFC. I don't know if that's the case now, but when I was competing, you had to be in the UFC if you wanted to really make a living at this stuff. And uh, you know, outside of the UFC, when I was outside the UFC, I was working a full time job. I was working full time, part time jobs all the way up until I won the UFC world title. So there wasn't even even when I was with the UFC, I still wasn't making a lot of money. I was making more than I would have been fighting at the local shows, but I wasn't making enough money to, to pay my house payments and my vehicle payments just on fight pay alone. I had I had to work full-time, part-time jobs all the way up until 2006 when I won the UFC world title. So it's a very hard industry, and, and you know, I mean, you have to put the time in, and, and uh, you know, you have to win the fights, and you have to be willing to to do what it, whatever you have to do to, to be successful in this industry. And sometimes you got to grow thick skin and you have to constantly evolve and constantly get better. And if you lose, you have to take that as a learning opportunity and, and try to get better from it and come back stronger. And that's something too, you know, what, what you said is a hundred percent truth. You know, here, again, I live in Cleveland, Ohio, not far from me is Valley View, Ohio, where one of their top paramedics is a, a guy I believe people have heard of. His name's Stipe Miocic who gets up every day and goes to a job. And this guy's the heavyweight champion of the world, and he still has, you know, a 9-to-5 job or something along those lines. He's smart. He knows he's going to get health care that way. He knows he's going to get pension that way. And that is that is brilliant on his part. He might t- take some heat from the UFC. I know he does. And he might, you know, he takes some heat from Dana White. Dana White likes to run his mouth about Stipe. And, you you know, can you, I can't blame the guy for doing that. I think he's a genius, Stipe Miocic is, for doing that, having a job. And helping out every day. I think that's great, personally. That's my own two cents. You know, yeah, I mean, definitely. you got kids, right? Like, right. What, what do you want me to do to feed them? Yeah, I don't. He, he doesn't get it. You know, he never, he never has. Um, you know, when, when, when you've got a billion dollars in the bank and you got access to, to $10 billion, you know, in the UFC bank account, you just don't understand what, what, what money is. And, you know, you don't, you don't understand that people still need to pay their bills. And, and, uh, you know, even when you fight, um, you know, your manager's taking 20%, your, your trainer's taking 10%, the IRS is taking 20, 30, 40%. Uh, training camp might cost you know upwards of, of five to ten thousand dollars so 
I mean, a hundred thousand dollar payday turns into 30 grand real quick. Yep. And I'm sorry, but 30 grand isn't enough money to, to change your fucking life. You know, it's not enough money to, to put, to put retirement funds away. You're not going to pay your house off with 30,000 bucks. You're not going to be able to pay your vehicle off. You got to put that $30,000 in the bank and you got to save it until the next time comes around because, you know, you just don't know when those paydays are going to stop. So, you know, the thing that changed for me, you know, the reason why I was not, I didn't have to work a full-time part-time job after I won the belt. wasn't because of anything the UFC did for me. They didn't do anything special for me. They don't care. You know, what changed for me is my phone started ringing. You know, I started getting all these phone calls, you know, all these people want to pay me sponsorship money. They want me to wear their clothes. I will pay you money. I will pay you salary. I will pay, pay you monthly to wear, you know, something with my, with my name on it. I will pay, you know, all these people started calling me at seminars every single weekend. And sometimes twice a week, I was doing meet and greets at fight shows. I was doing seminars. I was getting paid a lot of money for that stuff, plus the sponsorship stuff, the endorsement deal stuff. I had trading card deals. I had action figures. I had um, T-shirt uh, clothing lines. You know, so the phone was ringing off the hook every single day. The phone would ring with, with some kind of an opportunity. That's the only reason why I did not have to go back to my nine-to-five job was because of that. And if it wasn't for that stuff right there, I would have been working full-time jobs throughout my entire fight career. And Sean, I'm not too embarrassed to say that I actually do own your action figure, and it's pretty damn it's it's pretty damn cool looking. I gotta tell you. So we're well, gonna move on. Some people call it a doll. Some people call it a doll. It's like, that's not a doll, man. You dress a doll. And one of the first things I had to tell my wife when I met her, I said, look. You're going to come over to my house. You're going to see these bins with some stuff in them. They're not dolls. They're action figures. And she's pretty hip to it. So, you know, here's things. I want to get back on course with this interview. I got a few questions for you left. But I just want to tell our fans at home, you know, I really want our fans at home to, to go on the Internet. Everybody's got it. And look at what the cost of a basic surgery would be. Let's say to repair a broken ankle, a broken arm. Even a busted nose. Go in and look at what that would cost without insurance. And that's what these guys are facing. To this day, to this day, that's what these guys are facing. And it's not right. It is not right. And the UFC, the last thing they're going to, would ever want to happen is for these competitors, men and women, to form a union and establish that type of thing. The word union is so dragged through the mud in this country because of industries like the UFC that speak out against it. When in actuality, that would help these guys out tremendously. But I'm going to get off my own soapbox and move on with the interview here. <laughs> so honestly, though, you know, you, you, you do. You come back. You, you rattle off 12 straight. Come back to the UFC. And, you, you know, one of your first fights back is against my personal favorite, my wife's personal favorite as well, a guy by the name of George St. Pierre, GSP. A lot of people consider him to be the GOAT. Would you agree with that? And what makes him so good? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree. He's, he's one of, if not the best fighter uh, of all time. I put John Jones up there as well. I'd also put Anderson Silva in, in that same conversation. So um, what's different about him? Um, he's very intelligent, for one. A lot of people don't realize that. He's, he's, a, he's a very strategic, uh, intelligent game planner. 
uh, very good at watching fights, breaking opponents down, coming up with game plans as far as how to beat opponents. And he's also very good at, at uh, you know, he's so well-rounded. You know, the guy never wrestled competitively, but he's got the highest takedown percentage of, of uh, I believe, in the history of the sport, yes. of, of, of in the mixed martial arts uh, for the UFC. He's got the highest takedown percentage. He does. Look at all the, and, 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 and who did he beat to, to get that? You know, myself, born and raised a wrestler, Frank Trigg born and raised a wrestler, Matt Hughes, born and raised a wrestler, uh, Johnny Hendricks, Josh Koscheck. I mean, we're talking, you know, between just those five names alone, we've probably got 5,000 wrestling matches and who knows how many state and national titles between the five of us. And uh, George St. Pierre took all of us down and, and outfought us on the ground. So, you know, what does that say about somebody's athletic ability and, and about somebody's ability to learn and, and evolve uh, because he came from a karate background. So, you know, um, I fought him and he, I mean, he's good. I knew he was going to be good. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I showed it. Fortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, the fight did not go my way because I knew if I would have beat him, I would have been looking at fighting Matt Hughes in a rematch for another world title, which I didn't do. And then uh, I think George ended up fighting him, and I believe. I believe George beat him the second time around. The second that was the second fight because Matt beat him the first time with more than the second time George beat Matt, and I think that was George fought him after he fought me. I believe it was a long time ago. I guess I don't remember all the facts. Oh yeah, no, GSP was a different fighter after he lost to Matt Hughes that first time. He only lost right. once again, and on a lot of them call it a fluke, but he got caught yeah. with a pretty good shot from Sarah. But be, beyond that, I mean, he went on one hell of a run. So for you though. But but so did you. This time you stuck around and you beat some really big names: Nick Diaz, Kenny Kenflo Florian for the vacant light uh, lightweight championship at that time, and then you defended it successfully against Hermes Franca, and then the UFC took it away from you. They said you failed a, a drug test for stero- a form of steroids. Sean, what happened? Well, they said I took uh, Nandrolone, which is a testosterone booster, uh, which which wasn't true, and I ended up going to uh i took the uh, well the, it wasn't the ufc that said i took it it was uh the california commission right. that said i took it so um i ended up trying to take those guys to uh to court and um they i had a lot of proof that said i didn't take it i passed lie detector tests i passed blood tests you know there was there was um the, the Quest Laboratories is the one that did the testing, and and uh, there was actually documented on paper that the machine that they did my test on was uh, had contamination in before they even did my test. It was documented on paper, so uh, they weren't willing to to overturn, unfortunately. And you know when you when you take the state of California to court and try to battle something, you know they were acting as the judge, the jury, and the prosecution. It was a battle that I just couldn't win, unfortunately, even even with all the proof that I had that I didn't take anything. And, you know, the, the good thing was, is, you know, the UFC said they believed me, and they actually, I don't know, a lot of people don't know this, but they actually paid for my lawyer's fees, which was super, super cool, because um, they believed in me. Uh, but uh, they said... Uh, they have to follow the guidelines that they've always followed and they have to strip me of the belt, even though they believe I didn't use it. So anyway, I, I got the belt stripped away from me and, and, uh, they gave me an automatic title fight with, uh, 
uh, BJ Penn because BJ ended up winning the vacant title against uh, Joe Stevenson. Yeah, UFC 80. Now, here's the thing, too. So, two questions left for you. And, Sean, I really do appreciate you taking the time today to, uh, you know, speak with us here at Keon Sports. We've had a lot of big names recently. Um, you're definitely one of the biggest, though, and we appreciate that. Now, we just want to – I got two questions for you left, and let me preface this last one – or the second to last one here. So before I became a, a journalist and covered this as a profession, you know, I was – clearly I was a fan. And, and truth be told, I still am a fan. I'm the fan that just now happens to have a really cool job. But, you know, I did not like BJ Penn, and I'm not bad-mouthing the guy. He's one of the greatest of all time. And I liked you. I liked Matt Hughes. I liked the wrestlers. I liked GSP. It just because, again, my family background of amateur wrestling, those were the guys I pulled for. So I have to tell you flat out, as a fan, when you fought BJ Penn, I was so pissed off that you lost. Like, you have no idea. I mean, just devastated. You know, again, though, he is a, he, he's amazing. And people look at his record now, and it's something like 16 and 14 or something ridiculously bad. And like they, I don't think they truly understand that the BJ Penn of the early 2000s was one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. So, again, I have to ask you, I mean, you fought so many greats. Matt Hughes, um, you know, you, you fought, um, I got my notes all screwed up here, BJ Penn, you know, and then GSP. So out of the, out of the three of them, you know, who was the best and how would you rank them and, and how tough, you know, what, what a gauntlet you went through, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, you know what? Um, everybody had their, their own strengths, right? And, you know, as far as who's the, the, the best of all those ones, I mean, I'd say George St. Pierre. Uh, I think his I think his credentials say it all. But, you know, fighting each one of those individuals, they each have their own strengths and their own styles. So, um, you know, Matt Hughes was was very powerful with with super good wrestling ability, great great ground control, you know, great ground and pound. Uh, or uh, BJ Penn, really good punching power, super good accuracy, you know. Um, and George Saint Pierre, he just was he just had it all, you know. I mean, the guy super good on the feet, really good mobility, hard to hit, very agile, you know. Then out of nowhere, he hit you with a blast double, you know just out of nowhere and then uh his ground game was super super slick really good ground and pound good submission attempt so i mean he i always refer to him as like the, the racehorse you know he's like the thoroughbred racehorse he just kind of he had it all you know and the guy was so good and, and just good in all in all aspects of the game and if you look at his record and, and what he accomplished over the course of his career that that says it all last question for you here today and again we do appreciate it uh, fans listening at home, um, when you're done listening to this interview here with Sean Shirk, scoot on over to uh, the podcast section or the MMA section where it will be posted, as well as the interview we have coming up here in a little bit with John Fitch to follow a little bit later today. So my last question to you here is this. Um, obviously, I know you're, you're a father with multiple children. I'm a father with multiple children. Eventually, life has its way where you have to walk away from something you love. How tough was it for you to walk away from the world of MMA as an active competitor and just face everyday reality of, okay, what comes next? And why did you make that decision? Because I know for every fighter, for every athlete, it's the hardest choice you have to make. Yeah, it was tough, you know, and it wasn't a decision I took lightly and it wasn't a decision that I, that I wanted to make. I didn't want to make that decision mentally. I, I loved fighting. That's who I was. And, um, I just knew it was time to walk away because my body was giving out on me. You know, I mean, I, 
my last fight I fought, actually, over the course of the last couple of years, I'd been stockpiling injuries on top of injuries on top of injuries. So, I mean, I bulge disc in my neck, both shoulders torn, bulge disc in my middle back, separated rib, bulge disc in my low back, two torn hips, two torn mm. knees. Um, both of my elbows have what's called a uh, golfer's elbow. Um, you know, so getting up out of bed in the morning, was painful and training was was very painful so it got to the point where it wasn't fun anymore and i wasn't able to train as hard as i needed to train and i was not able to compete at 100 percent. you know so you, you rack up all those injuries i had and that's what i'm competing with so i'm walking into the octagon 75 percent tops you know and then to top that off when i fought my last fight at ufc 19 119 um, I also was sick. I had a flu. I had a hundred, hundred, one hundred point five degree temperature on top of all those injuries. So I was, I was fighting at 50, 60% tops. You know, I was, it just wasn't fun for me. And, and when that was over, I had to make the decision to, to be done. It just wasn't my body said, okay, you're done now. And, and I wanted to go out on a, on a high note. I didn't want to go out on a loss. I've come too far to do that. So for me to, um, to revert, I always refer to it as reverting back to civilian life. Yeah. Um, it was tough. It took years, it took years and years and years and years and years to get my mentality away from the fighter's mentality and back to the, to the regular guy mentality. And I, I still have issues with it, but it took years to do that for me. And, you know, what, what really helped me was I started my own business. I started my real estate business and, I put so much time and effort into that. I put all the time and effort into that. I would have put into my fighting career. You know, whenever I buy a house and, and I'm flipping a house, I work on that house. I consider it train. I look at it like I'm training for a fight. I'm, I'm working six, seven days a week, 10, 12 hours a day. And I'm just working, 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 working. So that's what helped me get through it was to find something else to keep my mind off it basically. Hey, give yourself some love. Give yourself some credit. Everybody listening to Minnesota, how can we get a hold of Sean Shirk? I mean, you tell them, man. We if they wanna if they wanna hire you, how are they gonna do it? How do they get a hold of me? Yeah, for your business you just talked about. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I I flip houses. Um, I mean. I, I basically buy houses at auctions is what I do. So I don't, I don't do any like residential work or anything like that. I go to auctions, I auction on houses and, and uh, if I, if I win the auctions, then I flip them myself and I list them myself. I sell them myself. So I'm the agent. I'm the, I'm the foreman. I, I do all the work on the house myself. So, okay. Do you have any, do you have any social media links they could follow you on? Well, Facebook I do. Yeah. All right. Yep. You need to accept my friends request, man. Did you send one? Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. All right. <laughs> hey, honestly, it's been great to have you on. Uh, it's been a great interview. I got to ask you one last bonus question. I don't normally ask bonus questions, but this one's been too good. I have to give you a bonus question. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. As somebody with a history of amateur wrestling and somebody with a history of being in the UFC and uh, on top of the MMA world as a champion, does it ever piss you off when you're watching a movie or a television show and you see a fight, and it looks beyond it looks beyond fake, and some guy goes down after two shots. I don't, I don't. Yeah, it does. I don't, I don't watch <laughs> a lot of those movies. You know, a lot of those movies where they try to, uh, uh, you know, I don't remember them. Like 
Never Surrender or whatever those mixed martial arts movies that they come out with. I can't watch those. The technique is so bad. Yep. <laughs> you know, I made a I made a career out of breaking down technique point by point by point, not only mine but my opponents. So I know what I'm looking at from a technical aspect. And you know, you see these guys with with no real fighting ability, and they're trying to pretend like they're you know these tough guys. And I just I just can't watch it. It's too hard for me. Hey man, it's too funny. I'm a gigantic professional wrestling fan. Um, I'm so deep into the WWE, it's ridiculous. And all my uncles and my father hate it, and they will never watch it. And they they tease me and make fun of me all the time because, again, they were the ones who amateur wrestled, and they're like, this is such crap. So I just think, you know, I think it's too funny. But honestly, I want to let you go. You go about the rest of your day. And uh, we, I just want to thank you again from everybody here on Key on Sports. Any last things you want to say to the fans? Uh, well, it's, it's been fun, and uh, hopefully hopefully uh, we can do this again sometime. Oh, yeah, you're always welcome back. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. Take care. So that was Sean the Muscle Shark. So love that nickname, Shirk. Sean the Muscle Shark Shirk, an amazing career, finished up officially. Now, like you said, there was some wins he had that didn't go on the record, but 36-4-1, and one, one of the best to ever do it. For Keon Sports, this has been Vince McKee. We want to thank our guest today, Sean Shirk. Stay tuned. Other fighters coming up. A lot of big names on the way. Nikita Koloff of NWA, Ricky Morton of WCW, and also from now UFC and Bellator, John Fitch. Have a good day, everybody.